Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Canna Book Club here on Resonate Radio. Thank you so much for all of the love, follows, and everything that we've already done with our very first episode of the Canna Book Club in our new format, our video format. Don't forget, there are a few people hiding in the background, the rest of the Canna Book Club. Today, we take on diseases of cannabis sativa caused by diverse Fusarium species. Super excited to go through the paper with everybody. I got to meet one of the guys that does a little bit of editing on this paper. That was pretty neat. And uh, yeah, he kind of laughed at us for taking on this paper. Like I've shared with everybody. It's a little bit thick, everybody. So get your notebooks ready. Make sure you have the link ready so you can follow along. Because there's a lot to this one. Isn't that right, Mr. Casey? Casey, without further ado, let's go. Woo! Let's go. All right. Hey, Corey. Hey, everyone. All right. Well, welcome back to the Cannabis Book Club. Every week we get together and we talk about a new scientific cannabis research article, um, usually on the topics of horticulture, genetics, biochemistry, and all the cannabis things. Um, so today, let's just jump right into it. We're going to break this thing down, Fusarium. Um, so this this review, it's a review paper today. It's not a, our usual experimental procedures. Uh, so this review was published this month in Frontiers in Agronomy, authored by Gwyn, Hansen, Kelly, and Only out of the Department of Entomology and Plant Physiology at the University of Tennessee. Um, and edited by Zamir Punja, whose work we've covered in a few, at least one previous episode. Uh, and here is the abstract. <clears throat> the potential of species of Fusarium to cause significant economic losses in cannabis sativa due to plant diseases and mycotoxin residues is sub the subject of this review. 16 species of Fusarium reported as associated with cannabis production are classified in six species complexes, Fusarium oxysporum, F. solani, F. incarnatum equisitae, F. sambucinum, F. trichinctum, these, these molds, you know, um, and F. fujikuroi. I'll get those all by the end of the day, I swear. Uh, the taxonomy in this genus is the subject of debate and removal of species um, in the F. solani. Species complex to the genus Neocosmospora has been proposed. Many species associated with cannabis sativa are also opportunistic pathogens of humans and animals. Species of Fusarium produce a myriad of mycotoxins, including at least three deoxynivalenol, xerolanone, and fumonicin B deemed the most important mycotoxins in human and animal foods. These chemicals vary from the 
very simple chemicals, monolithoformin and butanolide, to the structurally complex D-pepsipeptides, <laughs> yes, bovaricin and eniatin B, the trichothecines, um, which are deoxynivolenol and its acetylated derivatives, deacetoxyscorpinol, I'm just going to skip that one, um, the robust strategies for disease management, um, examples, exclusion of the pathogen and control of the environment and host resistance are in development for this new crop and have primarily relied on management systems for other crops. Biopesticides have been labeled for use on cannabis sativa. However, few e efficacy trials have been performed. Host resistance to these pathogens and transmission are also understudied. The new markets for cannabis sativa and its derivative products require knowledge for control of these important fungal diseases to provide safe products for human consumption. Sorry about not knowing how to say so many chemicals. This one's a very um, mycotoxin heavy paper because fusarium is full of mycotoxins. But let's uh, take that, you know, section by section. And uh, Molly, would you handle that intro? Yes, no problem. <clears throat> so in this introduction, basically, you know, why are we reading this paper? Uh, cannabis is a pretty relevant topic right now, especially because it's uh, getting legalized in so many places um, over the last few years even. Um, and so, you know, uh, because it's cultivated at such a large scale and it's such an important part of the economy for, you know, a few countries like uh, US, Canada, and uh, even China for hemp. Um, of course, you know, we want to look into the cultivation and the best practices for that. Um, the other thing that they're sort of mentioning in this paper as well is, you know, the main uh, psychoactive uh, components that we have like THC uh, and CBD and the classification that we have of cannabis into hemp um, and our drug type. Uh, cannabis as well. Um, but the interesting thing here that they mention is because we are cultivating it at a large scale, um, the weeds, uh, bugs, and diseases present a pretty big challenge for these cultivations facilities. Um, and so because of all the parts of the plant growth are affected um, by the pathogens, um, it's really important to know sort of what we're dealing with. Um, the pathogens in the genus of Fusarium are considered to be among the most destructive pathogens that there could be um, on cannabis sativa. And um, that's particularly uh, the case here because of the root and vegetative growth phases that get um, affected the most by the infection. And so that can decrease plants quality um, and you know, add up to a total plant loss. Um, the species of Fusarium also can cause significant post-harvest losses, uh, and they can produce those mycotoxins that further limit the value of the crop. Um, and because in many countries, the legal status of plant has changed from crop to a legal drug back in, you know, 1950s, and then changed back again in the 2000s, um, there's like mostly two distinct period on when, when the literature is available. Um, Basically, it's like prior to 1960 and then after 1990. And there's some exception to this uh, distribution. And so there is um, 
there are some publications that are reporting the use of Fusarium oxysporum um, in cannabis as a biological control of the plants. And so the purpose of this review was to bring together for the first time all the reports of Fusarium species that um, are associated with cannabis sativa. And so they can provide more information on those mycotoxins that can be produced by these fungi and how to control the diseases. And uh, we're going next into Fusarium section. I think that's this guy, isn't it? That's you. So, I just wanted to point out that Molly said, you know, fungi. Fusarium's not a fungi. See what I did there? That's right, everybody. I'm here all week. This causes an absolute ruckus uh, in these grow rooms, to say the least. Um, I can pull up this figure, of course, on the paper. Uh, as we can see, we would never want a healthy plant to look any sort um, of that fun. And unfortunately, actually, today, uh, I did have to split apart a Mary stem, and I found something very, very similar uh, to this figure right here, unfortunately. So it is definitely a, a bad situation, uh, and it definitely results in, you know, ultimate removal of the plants. Uh, and one of kind of the tricky things, too, there's a lot of things about mechanical transmission that I'm going to, you know, kind of throw in there once we get into discussion and stuff. But... Uh, again, really encourage everybody to read this really um, high-level review of Fusarium because I think it's really important to kind of understand, you know, some of the different uh, kind of symptoms that they, you know, especially cover right in this uh, particular part of the paper. So talking about, you know, vascular wilts, um, but also they're talking about seedling dampening off. And that's just not something that's really been, you know, passed on from grower to grower, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, we obviously see the, the rotting of the crowns and the lower stems, but we've never really considered um, about possible seedling issues uh, within that. So it was one thing that I really wanted to point out, which I thought was uh, very useful to somebody. If you're, you know, going into your garden and you might have something wrong with it, there's, you know, kind of this back there. Uh, that might maybe need to be in the forefront uh, instead of hanging out on the back. Uh, one of the other things that I also thought was interesting uh, was it also does asexual spores and sexual echospores. So that, uh, oh, yeah, again, that sucks <laughs> as a grower uh, having that. You know, it, it's you're trying to figure out how to control something and it's just like drinking out of a fire hose. It's just going to come at you whether you want it or not. So that's that's a big issue, uh, to say the least. Um, and I guess the other thing that I also saw here is uh, living saprophytically on roots, stems, flowers and leaves. Um, yeah, this it's. I didn't know that it could actually survive on a seed. Uh, so yeah, there are some really good gems in here and I'm really excited that it is actually folded up into one uh, firm package because again, this is the, the biggest frustration um, that we have in the cannabis industry is I can't go to you know the greenhouse around the corner who's also growing cannabis and they're going to have a death bubba cultivar that is my death bubba. And, you know, never mind talking about the diseases that are related to that cultivar that in there. So this really opens up that discussion where we can kind of, you know, go to growers and have that discussion. And maybe it might open up, uh, you know, maybe a little bit extensive, more extensive 
uh, conversations because, yeah, this is something that um, it, it, there's kind of an ebb and a flow when you're working in a cannabis facility uh, with Fusarium, usually if you have it in the facility. Um, and it, usually it kind of spikes up in the summertime. And so that's one of the reasons that I'm really kind of um, looking forward to that again is to really open that up. We're getting into the summertime where, you know, again, if you go through this paper, you're going to see that, for example, the air temperature is about 28 degrees Celsius are, you know, good to um, have the development of the wilt. So we are rolling into 28 degrees Celsius is going into summertime. So again, really good tips uh, for folks that are working, you know, with cannabis that are in these facilities. Uh, and yeah, again, going over kind of some of the basic, you know, things of, of what to look at. So I'm not going to go into all of those things that are in here, uh, of course, and we're going to kind of, you know, again, do a little bit more of a summary of it. But I really do encourage people to go through there, check out some of those different um, things, because, again, there's also misidentifications of it uh, for sure. Uh, and so I think it's really important to have this kind of, you know, make a taxonomic determination and figure out what the heck is going on with the plant um, rather than just kind of guessing so um, yeah that's what i have to say with that and i pass it back over to casey because i don't know who is next <laughs> that's me i'll take it from here i'm going to talk about some so fusarium yes but and it's interesting so one of the cool things like i've gathered from this paper and is just very obvious in the pathological microbe kind of world is that like we have this whole range of this fusarium genus and there's very specific um, species of it that will affect specific plants or animals or whatever so out of this whole fusarium genus there are at least 16 species uh, reported to associate with cannabis sativa and let's not go into too much detail like that. I don't know. It's really hard to like funnel it down, but I just want to kind of highlight a little bit on, they go into very deep um, information into each species complex. Um, but to start off, uh, if you are a fan of Petri dishes like I am, check out figure two because it's got some wild ass fungal colonies going. Um, I just like how they have such unique um, morphological uniqueness. Um, a is the top side, B is the bottom side. Love it. Um, so definitely check out the, the figures and uh, photos and tables in this paper because they'll break down the species, the symptoms, <clears throat> how the colonies, what the morphologies look like, like for each species complex. So. One of the main players in this fusarium world is the fusarium oxysporum species complex. They are the most commonly isolated species found. They're, they're soil-borne, um, kind of just the most of interest uh, economically because they're probably a really big problem. They produce a lot of uh, mycotoxins. They cause wilt and bud crown root rots. Um, symptoms include chlorosis, stunting, and plant death. Um, they're first observed on lower leaves as small, dark, irregular spots combined with mild chlorosis and with leaflets tips curled upwards. I'll, honestly, like reading a lot of this was like a, a scary story because it's just like describing like blight and death of plants. It's so sad. Um, 
so yeah, and um, it, I don't know if this is a big thing when other things we talked about, but losses can occur in both uh, industrial hemp and med, uh, medicinal cannabis. So no cannabis is safe. <laughs> Um, and it's interesting because like with industrial hemp, it's always touted that like you need no pesticides or anything like that. Um, even though pesticides wouldn't kill um, myco, uh, mycobiology, um, it's no perfect plant because this fusarium is intense. Um, so moving on to the fusarium solani species complex, um, some of these species are pathogenic to both plants and animals. Um, so we're not safe either, but that was kind of obvious because mycotoxins are intense. Um, they've got some uh, mycotoxins. Um, they actually might be more aggressive than other species, causing bud decay and root mass reduction. Uh, there's also the Fusarium incarnatum equisitae species complex. Um, this one's interesting because some of them cause plant diseases, but some of them actually promote plant growth and are used as microbial pesticides for other fusarium species. Uh, they mentioned something about tomatoes. <laughs> um, so maybe fusarium will also be our friend, who knows? Um, I guess it's kind of like the antibiotics thing. Um, they have some hefty mycotoxins um, and they cause flower buds to bud rot um, and the fun, ugly colors um, of chlorosis. Um, let's see, we've got the Fusarium sambucinum species complex. Uh, recently um, hurt a Kentucky field grown hemp. Um, and so they've got some really intense mycotoxins. And the other ones, we've got Fusarium trisinctum, causes wilting and yellowing and stem cankers, and has lots of mycotoxins. Um, and finally, the Fusarium fujikoroi species complex. Um, also terrible symptoms and terrible mycotoxins. And I'm going to let uh, Anna or Molly take it away with the fusarium and seeds because it's yeah. not just talking about plants yeah, it's, here. It's me. Thanks, Molly. Sorry, one second. Um, my voice suddenly decided that it's just not going to work. Just one moment. That's okay. Everybody sees figure B right here. You see that? That one, that's 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 my, definitely my greenhouse. That that a hundred hundred and fifty thousand percent, I yeah hundred thousand percent. I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, we've got pictures. Like we've got yeah. If y'all need figures for this stuff, I got them. I got lots. Yeah. I have figures for this from Zenobins, so <laughs> I could provide pictures for this as well. If All right, three, two, one, okay. and then go. Three, two, one. All right, so uh, Fusarium and seed. This one was actually really interesting. Um, they mentioned how at least one species in each species complex above, uh, except for FTCS, um, has been reported in pre- or post-harvest flower buds of cannabis sativa. Uh, but also 
because um, Fisarum associated mycotoxins have been isolated from hemp seed uh, cakes and the pathogens are seed transmitted in other crops, um, they're saying that it's reasonable to assume that seeds can have propagular phonom of serum species either in the seed, which is, you know, what's the true seed transmission, or on the seed surface. So um, they had a test here where they had six cannabis seed accessions um, that were evaluated as part of the survey of the core collection of the Suceva gene bank. And Fusarium oxysporum was the only pathogen that was isolated from cannabis sativa. And then Fusarium um, and rosium were isolated from surface sterilized seeds. So it can be like, I guess, inside of the seed uh, transmitted like that, or it can be on the surface, uh, which is pretty interesting because I, you know, as Corey mentioned, never even knew that it can be transmitted like that. Um, and so McPartland and Hillig recommended that the seeds that are infested by oxysporum uh, will, should not be used for human consumption or plant production. So human consumption, I'm assuming they're mentioning the hemp seeds um, that people consume. And uh, they didn't otherwise document presence of the fungus in the seed. And upon germination, species of fusarium may live as functional endophytes, um, and they can cause seed rot or causing damping off of the seedlings. Um, and many species of fusarium coexist with their host as endophytes, and they protect the host against pathogens. Again, just mind-blowing. Um, anoxysporum has been reported as endophytic in cannabis sativa. Uh, other species of fusariums are reported to infect host seedlings, but the foliar disease symptoms are not showing up until the host um, plant enters reproductive stages. And so foliar symptoms are caused by the toxins produced by the fungus, and um, this is the case with fusarium virguliforme and sudden death syndrome of soybean. Um, so this one I think is actually pretty interesting because I guess like you're not even safe if you're propagating from seed with fusarium, like it still uh, will be there and kind of like manifests itself later on. It's pretty interesting. It's, it's pretty scary is what it is. <laughs> no seed is safe. No, um, no. So I get to carry on from here. So fusarium in seed, I feel like is like kind of, a little bit misleading because I think all of this points to the fusarium being carried on the outside of the seed. If it was inside the seed, I don't feel like the seed would actually survive to germinate. Um, and it's interesting that they say McPartland and Hillig recommend seeds infested not be used for human consumption, but they did not otherwise document presence of the fungus in the seed. I don't know. I feel like the seed thing is all on the surface of the seed and not saying that if you plant a seed, you're the, you, you can wash the seed and, and potentially get, if it's from a plant that was um, contaminated, potentially you could treat that seed, get the fusarium off. The inside of the seed, the plant inside the seed is not going to be contaminated. They didn't really dive into that because probably they have no um, evidence either way on that, but I feel like if it's inside the seed, the seed's not going to make it. Anywho, um, I am taking on the mycotoxins in cannabis in, uh, I feel like, all right, so the problem is that we have fusarium that leads to mycotoxins. The solutions include management, which are exclusion, control, 
and resistance. And the goal being safe consumption for, for humans, whether that be ingesting it in the form of eating it or smoking it in the case of recreational or medicinal cannabis. <clears throat> so we know that mycotoxins are toxins from fungi. Uh, in terms of regulations in the U.S., the FDA sets safety guidelines for safe limits, but it's missing. It does have some fusaria information, but there's a whole bunch of emerging um, fusaria that we're just starting to learn about. They're missing all of that because they don't have any information. And uh, for, you know, beyond the United States, um, they also don't have that information. So, um these authors uh, say that um, Fusaria, all, all of the Fusaria that's been found in cannabis so far, all of them produce mycotoxins, and actually all the Fusaria that we know of um, produces mycotoxins. So we know that the toxins are being produced by this fungus, and yet we're not really regulating it. We're not really, we don't really know enough about it. And yet we have products on the market, we have things that are being consumed by humans that we know have these toxins in it. We don't know what safe levels are. It's just kind of a meh. Um, and it's also on the other side, too, when you're kind of taking on Fusarium, too, it's really wide open with some of the things that we can do inside of the greenhouse. And so that's kind of the other thing, too, is, you know, I'm kind of waiting for that to tip the other way where they're going to find out, you know, what we're using to combat it and then go after that and kind of regulate those levels. Cause right now the federal regulator isn't looking for those, you know, levels that are currently in there. Hey, what do you, whatever you think is good. And I want to be clear. It's not like I'm using like a banned product or a pesticide. I'm using like actual micronutrients to take this on. And so it's a micronutrient thing uh, to be specific yeah, about it. There are several ways that we can combat this, and I'll get to that in a second. Or they, the authors, get to this, and and I'll kind of. I'm just summarizing it. I don't want to like read the paper to you because you can do that. Um, so the also the problem is is that the the scientific literature that like people pull from, like the FDA, the CDC, whoever, the scientific literature that is actual research that we get information from to make decisions there's not a whole lot on fusarium and it comes in all these different species these different complexes they often occur in combination the toxins that they produce uh, whether it be one or multiple like the effects are different just like cannabis if you have one thing if you have two things, the two things don't necessarily, it's not one plus one equals two, it's often one plus one equals four or whatever the case may be. So we really don't know a lot and the science, we don't have the science to back anything up. We just know that fusarium produces mycotoxins and mycotoxins can be bad, but like we really don't know. And the other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of stuff that we do know about mycotoxins, if it's on like, you know, produce or something, we can, wa we can wash that stuff, and we eat that stuff. We're putting it into our gut, our stomach, where there's a high, you know, acid. Lighting something on fire and inhaling it is completely different to eating something. 
So that's another thing to keep in mind when we're talking about these mycotoxins is that um, what we do know may not necessarily translate well to how we consume cannabis. So um, they're finding a lot of these um, fusarium and mycotoxins in cannabis products, whether it be full flower or, or refined products. Um, we do have some in vivo information, but it's very understudied, and we don't really know what it does. And we don't know what, the, at, like, the combinations, as I said, the combinations of various mycotoxins do. And if they have um, additive effects, like, is it 1 plus 1 equals 2, or is it 1 plus 1 equals 3 or 4? We don't know. Um, and we, But we do know that in, um, you know, sort of toxicity tests, we've got things like cell death, membrane disruption, heart disease in birds. Um, mammals get all kinds of, like, their cells. Um, they list a whole bunch of different effects. Uh, and it shows up in, um, like, body fluids and stuff. So we know that we are taking them in and we're not getting rid of them, which is kind of concerning. In terms of toxic effects... Um, we know that there's multiple toxic effects. Um, what I found was really interesting is at the bottom of page 11, if you could scroll to there, Corey, in the second column, I have columns, I don't know if you have columns, but like at the very bottom of page 11, it says, cannabinoids affect tumor growth, right? We're all very excited about the potential for cannab cannab cannabinoids to um, treat tumors, cancer, things like that. So cannabinoids affect tumor growth through sphingoloid uptake into cancer cells. Fusonacin B1 selectively inhibits regulation of tumor growth by cannabinoids. So while the cannabinoids are working to, you know, have an impact on that tumor growth, fusarium actively stops that from happening. I thought that was a really interesting statement. They do have a, uh, a citation for that. So if anyone's interested in that, totally go read that paper. Um, I don't think we'll ever get to that. But that was a really impacting statement for me to see. And then we've got, you know, some more effects. So neurotoxicity, hepatotoxicity, nephrotoxicity, uh, cytotoxicity. Anyway, so they on this page, they basically list a whole bunch of really um, bad stuff that these, these toxins could potentially have should we have the information on us in vivo. Um, yeah, bad stuff. Then we have the potential for synergistic toxicity, which, as I mentioned, is like the additive effect. So not just one plus one equals two. We have one plus one equals four. So you put two of these toxins together, they kind of act together to create a, a more a, a larger effect than just they would on their own um we don't we generally when we research these toxins we just look at one and see what happens we don't generally look at things as a whole so we don't really know what's going on with this um but there have been some studies that suggest that additive effects do happen um 
and have been found in other in other systems that they've looked at. So then we move on to mycotoxins in cannabis. We don't have a lot of um, information on necessarily fusarius, fusarium, but we do have a lot of, well, not even a lot. We have a little bit of information about aspergillus, um, that it tends to be isolated from the inflorescence. So that's the part that we, you know, generally consume. We kind of ignore the stems and the leaves, but when we're doing things like cloning, that could be where it's being harbored. It could, um, then we spread to the, the flowers, et cetera, et cetera. So we're missing a lot of information. Um, and studies have found that like, yeah, uh, toxins have been found in these products and especially people who are making concentrates at home or edibles at home, they're taking home these flower products. They're making them into concentrates, edibles, concentrates have a tendency to concentrate whatever is in the flower. So not only are you concentrating the cannabinoids, if there is some kind of toxin, you're also concentrating that toxin. And if there isn't a test, if there isn't something to show that you even have that in your flower, you could actually be ingesting or inhaling quite a bit of toxins without your knowledge. Um, they, there was, there's some references to the various studies where seven products that were tested all had toxins in them. And it was, you know, like flowers and concentrates and, um, actual flower, like F L O U R like hemp flower, um, seven out of 10 botanical nutraceuticals. So not something from flowers, but, uh, leaves also had, uh, mycotoxins in them. So to me, that's kind of crazy that we're just kind of skipping over this potentially harmful, potentially harmful, not we don't know that it's harmful. We just need more information. We need more research. We need to know how much and how much is in this stuff and how much is toxic. We don't have either of those pieces of information to say whether it's harmful. We don't want to like um, say that the sky is falling, but we also don't want to be like, oh, it's totally safe because neither one of those statements is true. We don't know how much is in these products and because we're not testing and we don't have the information to say how toxic this stuff is to us when we do ingest this stuff. We just don't have that information. So as in all of the papers that we talk about, um, the overall arching uh, commentary is we need more research. When we say that we need more cannabis research, this is the crap we're talking about. Like, you know, people are like, oh, there's, you know, a million studies on cannabis. This is, this is the stuff that we're missing. There is a ton of stuff that's missing. So anyway, <clears throat> after we've talked about all that bad stuff, then we can talk about disease control. How do we minimize this, these toxins in our products? So, of course, it's going to start with the plants, Right. So we can control or try to control how free of disease our plants are. So, you know, getting clones that are disease free, where are we getting our clones from? Did we test them for these toxins, et cetera, et cetera. The seeds that we get, we know that this, that these toxins, these uh, fungi can be passed 
through the seed coat, not necessarily in the seed, but definitely on the seed coat. So seeds should be cleaned and or tested. Even in the water, the water that we're watering the plants with can harbor these fungi. So we know they can be spread clonally, um, can be spread especially in hydroponic situations. Um, so sanitation is, you know, something that people need to think about. Do you have a sanitary environment? Have you tested clones coming in? <clears throat> uh, for hydroponic situations in this paper, they suggest that you can treat your, uh, your media with uh, UV light. It's 99.9% effective for killing these kinds of um, fungi or whatever this kind specifically um but it all, can also be carried in like cocoa core which is what a lot of people grow in of course it can be carried in the soil so um you know the important things to think about are is it in your plants is it in your media can it be carried by the people that work in your work environment sanitation and and, and um all that stuff needs to be in the forefront yeah then if i can because and that's a big thing too like even if you have like a couple of different plants i mean like you have to use for example different scissors uh you know mm -hmm. or make sure that you disinfect those scissors moving through for example in our large-scale facility we have a container and we have a, like a foam thing on the bottom and it's full of a cleaning solution and we stick three pairs of scissors in that thing and so there's always you know you take the freshest one out of there but there's always two in there cleaning essentially uh, for enough time and that's you know making sure that you do it between the plants because that mechanical transmission is just is absolutely unreal um, and then the other thing that you touched on too Dr. Anna was you know trying to test your clones I mean test them but make sure that you have a quarantine area for the new plant material that you're bringing into oh, yeah, your facility holy crying out loud I cannot stress that enough and I have seen I, I've literally diverted several million dollar mistakes making sure that we just use a tiny quarantine room. Like we had rice root aphid come in on new genetic material and thank goodness I convinced them to do it in a small portion of the nursery instead of all of the whole thing. How long do you think a quarantine should be? Until you feel safe enough that your genetic material can be introduced into your facility. Because that's going to vary grower to grower. For me, I really like to try and make it as long as possible. But at the same time, 30 days kind of thing, I guess I might say, might be the best thing. But I just really want to give it a shot to do its thing and kind of understand, wait for some test results to come in. But I've really seen that very, you know, grower by grower. But, you know, the bottom line is if you don't spend 30 days on the front side, if your plants bring in something that's not good, you're going to have to wipe out that room and not put genetic material in that spot for, you guessed it, at least 30 days. That's going to be the recommendation of any person in integrated pest management because that's the life cycle of various different things. So... It, it's up to you whether you want to take that risk on the front or the, the other side of it, but I really encourage you to do it on the front side and, and develop that habit of quarantining your stuff coming through. Even your substrate, Dr. Ann, that's what we used to do. We'd send, or we'd come in by lots and send out our substrate for, t even if it was pro mix, it doesn't matter. 
We'd send in that lot and hey, we yeah, we tested ProMix and we found out there's more copper in ProMix than all the other substrates out there on the market. And like almost to a point of toxicity on some of the lots. So, you, yeah, yeah, just because it has that big name on it, that it's very familiar still quarantine and make sure. Doesn't mean they don't they don't have a problem in their facility, right? So yeah. it could be just a person that's just a dirty person that works in their facility, contaminated yes. a bunch of oil, cobra core, whatever. So plants, number one, whether it's a, 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 a and, and clones from another facility is definitely like a concern. I think quarantine is a really great, um, you know, mechanism to, uh, what do I want to say? Like stop that. Um, and of course, when you find infected plants, get them out of there, remove them, all of them. And even like neighboring ones, media, soil, of course, is going to be harboring potentially, uh, different fungi and whatnot. Uh, cocoa core can do too. And so can water. So be really mindful of your media airflow. If you don't have enough airflow, um, you can just, you're potentially like making a micro ecosystem for that, but you know, that, that fungi just take off. So airflow is really important, especially if you have, you know, different strains that have really, really dense buds where that moisture could just build up that could potentially become a big problem. And then, you know, sanitize your tools, your work areas, your people, <laughs> <laughs> make sure that your workers aren't coming in as dirty hippies or coming in from their grows, you know, wearing the, 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 you know, whatever they wear. You, if, if you need to like have some PPE, some gowns or something that they have to throw on over their clothes, whatever the case may be. But even then when I get home, I take my stuff off at the door at the washing machine. Like it just doesn't break that barrier into it. You just never know what you could possibly be bringing through. Um, you know, sanitary conditions are, are definitely something that you want to be mindful of. So then the next thing that they talk about is host resistance. Um, we need more research in this. Like we definitely want to work towards having plants that are more resistant to these things. Unfortunately, we don't know a lot about it. There's a couple of studies. They're very small back in the day um, with a couple of different strains. I feel like with the, the places that they said they were from, it was like, um, I don't even remember, but it seems like it might've been regional differences rather than, like, I don't think we would see those differences here necessarily in Canada or the United States, uh, but there is potentially the ability to develop strain resistance, you know, but whatever, we're not there yet. So don't rely on that. And then we have the chemical and biological control. So are we going to spray them with shit? Um, I feel like a lot of people in the industry are like, yeah, spray the shit out of it. Make sure it doesn't grow anything. And there's a lot of people who are like, don't fucking spray shit on it, dude. People are going to smoke that. Rude. That shouldn't even be the thing, to be honest with you. I mean, like, if you're... You're, there's no spray out there that really gets rid of it. So if you have it, that means that you've already screwed it up. Like the pest management triangle is your, your host, your environment, and a pathogen. You have to have all three. You can't just like magically get it. Ha it has to be there. So in order to get that synergy out of that triangle, you got to take one of those corners out. And so they do say that. They say, all right, if you're growing for cedar fiber, Sure. Like maybe you can use these methods because like no one's ingesting this stuff. Like fiber, you're going to make it enclosed or 
rope or something like that's fine seed we're gonna grow it and and we can clean seed but anything beyond that like if you're spraying stuff on to get mold off you're doing something wrong so because you know potentially this could be somebody's medicine and especially for immunocompromised people like those people are putting that into their bodies that's a bad thing um the standards and regulations are different from country to country, from state to state. Like, there is no standards. They don't know what they're doing. The regulators don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's safe versus what's not safe, which products are safe. Because it's what you spray on corn is completely different from what you're going to spray on something that you're going to smoke, right? Um, and even then, they say only 60% of the biocontrols list for... Um, List fruitarium as something that it works on, and the efficacy for fruitarium isn't even in the literature. Like they they list it, but they don't actually have anything to back it up. And oh, uh, there's you know people who inoculate things with rhizobacteria or um, whatever, like neem. <laughs> tolerant about neem but there really isn't anything and then and then and then all those other things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago about you know, regalia and all those other things they don't seem to work at all or in no significant difference and the only thing that really does seem to work kind of is is if you do a soil treatment so that's if you're growing in soil first of all if you're not growing in soil then you're fucked but basically you if it's growing on your plant you're just SOL, right? Well, and you have to be careful, too, when you're doing that UV treatment. I mean, you're doing that to get rid of fungi, but you're doing it to get rid of fungi. So any of the beneficial things that you do potentially to your soil are like adding to that, you know, beneficial kind of area. You have to remember that you are about to destroy all of that potentially with the fusarium fungi as well. And so well, I just, I really potentially destroy things that are happening in the trichomes of your plants that you're trying to. Yeah. So there's a whole thing. So I'll, I'll leave my section and there is a little bit more to go, but I'll leave my section with, we need a lot more research. For it's sure. A lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of re, like resources. Um, as we've discussed before, research, uh, getting research from, you know, the table to the grave is not an easy task and anybody who wants to do it and can get it done is really, you know, like they should, we should, I don't, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I go, we should all be given fucking capes, honestly. Like we're the only facility in the entire region that let him come into our facility and do the research that he wants to do. Well, you all should get capes too. You can join the team. It's unbelievable though, that they just wouldn't, they won't like people aren't open to doing it, you know? It's, it's just, it's wild. Okay, so the cannabis industry, all right, we're going off on a little tangent, but we'll finish eventually. But people don't want to let scientists in. They think scientists are the bad guys, and we're going to, like, somehow smack them all down and be like, no, this is an evil plant. No, you can't make it into good stuff because God gave the plant, and we want to, like, make it into a synthetic pharmaceutical. Like, we're not all like that at all. Like, some of us just legit love the plant and want to actually do good things, but... We can't, the FDA will not, like, we can't make the policy do good things unless we have the scientific 
you know, knowledge to say, do good things with this because we have the scientific evidence to back that up. But if we don't have the science, then we can't make the policy change. And oh my God, it's like this fucking loop that is, it's like the song that's never ending. And thank you, Corey, to your facility who's letting the scientists in to look at the stuff to do the things that we need to make the policy changes. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of them for doing that. And even, you know, like our integrated pest management team is studying under him to, you know, even further it. And that's like, that's when I get really excited. It's like one thing for people to do research, but like actually investing the time and making sure that, you know, these young whippersnappers are coming through uh, and put being put in the place to be successful and do this research. I mean, I just co-wrote an article and put it in Greenhouse Canada. Like, how cool is that? You know, you're a guy at IPM working in the in the industry and you get to partner up with somebody like that. So it's nice to see that actual people working in these facilities have that opportunity to be on the on the forefront of this, you know, because it really is the most important, especially like in like a nursery context. And in the beginning of it, like I, I like, you know, I said I chopped up a plant today and I saw Fusarium right in the middle of the stem and I'm just going, oh, shit. You know, and I have to start like and that's it. You know, I know that it was there. And so I know that, like, you know, they've been using scissors in all these different places after they just pruned those plants within the last week. And yeah, you know, so it's really where they used all of the scissors. Yep. And so it's really you have to have these like good habits within a facility just bottom line. But especially when you start throwing in this stuff, when you get into fusarium and all these things where, you know, again, we've talked about it. There's there's really no chemical control to do it. We've mentioned all the solutions for it. It's, you know, sanitation and clean genetics and et cetera. It's it's all good habits of running a facility and taking care of the plant. So I think that's really important. I think it's really I think it's also really important to remind people that science informs policy. Like, in order for policy to change, they have to have information, and that information comes from science. You can't just have, like, a bunch of people with pitchforks saying, we want things to change. We, like, they have to have some sort of information to change it. Like, yeah, people can get pissed off, but honestly, if there's, like, some sort of scientific backing to say, this is why it needs to change, this is what we found, and this is why it's for the betterment of whatever the policy is much more likely to change. So letting these scientists in, although the cannabis industry in general is um, resistant to that, there's a bunch of really good scientists that really want this for the betterment of the industry, but but we have to be able to study it and, and, and answer some of these questions so that we can change what's going on so we can inform policy so we can say things like you know what we do need regulations we do need here are the safety levels on fusarium for example please don't let you know these plants or this flower with these levels of toxins in them out because it's not safe and right now we don't have that and people are just fine with it because it's god's plant and it's like no but there's other some some of god's creatures are not nice (laughs) and they do want to kill you or make you all sick you know help help us help you it is though they fucking they need to help like it's just i've been able to make cases because of these papers in my facility and push you know practices forward it's because it's like, they, well, they're asking me, you know, they're going like, they're going, 
well, how do you know this is work? This works. And it's like, well, you know, here's obviously the evidence where we've done in the facility, but here's this paper, <laughs> you know, and yeah, that's and yeah, it's just it, it's incredible how it's yeah, it's rub it's starting to rub off on the right people, and some of these folks are starting to get it. But yeah, I just wanted to throw it in um, earlier when we were discussing about. Um, the consumption of those mycotoxins. I think it's sort of kind of similar to what's the case with PM, where if we eat vegetables that have PM, the acids in our stomach can break it down. And so like, it doesn't matter if we accidentally ingest it. But if you smoke stuff with PM, it can lead to lung infections. Um, and so a lot of people don't actually know that. And a lot of the places that especially like uh, if you talk about like legacy market, they will just trim it out so that you don't even see it. Like, you know, in, in legal market, at least it gets irradiated. So, you know, technically whatever it is there is dead. It might not look the best or it's smoke not the best. Sorry. In some legal markets, it gets irradiated. Yeah, in, in Canada, most of them, like if you want to pass your microbial, you have to. Yeah, There's so no for us, it's like that, but also it's never disclosed on the label. They don't have to. And so a lot of people just simply don't know that it exists. Um, if you just tell people like, hey, there are some pathogens that you might not actually see, you know, um, people get very surprised. But this is why if I see anyone who is sort of like, hey, like I got this weed, but it might be moldy, but I'll smoke it anyway. I'm always like, please, like, don't, you know, if it's PM or mold, like, you know, Anytime throw your money out, but don't smoke it. Some weird ass mold that you don't even know what it is. Like it could be black mold. Who cares? I mean, ew. it's scary. So I think it's just like, you know, it's fine. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> So and, and, just put and, it on the oven, Doctor Anna, and it will be fine. The thing about mold is like the stuff that you see is just like the fruiting body. Like there's more. There's a lot, and the same thing with bread and cheese. Like any kind of mold you see is just it. Like the the flower. Like there's a lot more to the fungus. There's the hyphae and like the whole organism. That's just the little tops, the like, little colas of the of the whole thing. There's a lot of the thing that you're ingesting or eating or smoking is fully infected. And so you cut like a leaf or two off because it looks yucky. Oh, you didn't get it all. I guarantee it. You didn't. You didn't. You didn't get it. You got like, on the mycotoxins. <laughs> Throw back to all the food we ate by just cutting off the piece that has visible mold. <laughs> Not right now, but when I was little. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing between PM, powdery mildew, and, and fusarium is like powdery mildew is like a surface level-ish mostly thing, but then fusarium is systemic and it just can affect the whole plant. So you can't, but you even gonna wipe this one off. <laughs> powdery mildew doesn't have like a toxin associated with it, right? It's just the the spores and stuff are gonna create allergen, you know, like, but, but fusarium is like a legit creates toxins that can lead mm -hmm. to things like cell deaths and we, DNA damage. Yeah, all this, all these really nasty, nasty things. So you kind of have to be really careful. And it manifests differently too, from what we've read. 
It can be in different parts of the plant. That can be wilting. It can be just the tips. You know, that's the other thing where I think everybody, you know, like I think a lot of growers maybe have seen that wilting, but they just never really thought that it was cerium. They probably just looked at it and were like, "What the hell is going on with this plant?" Check the p yeah. check the ppm and you know pH and all that, and they look at their lights and everything but the fusarium right so i think that that part is pretty interesting because in general when you talk to growers i think everybody just thinks oh cannabis pest spider mite it's like a you know Mm. one destination thought usually when you talk about pests with people but there is like a lot more out there and some of it is invisible so it's pretty funny so fusarium just every cannabis consumer and producer needs to know about it. I mean, we're not going to test it yet, but we're on to you, Fusarium. Um, And that's another Cannabis Club for you this week. Be sure to follow us everywhere and listen to us every week so you can be updated on all the new budding cannabis science. I like that joke. I like that joke. That was definitely better than my fungi one. I'm not going to lie. Thank you so much, everybody. As Casey said, listen to all of the things and follow on all of the things. It's a YouTube, Twitch, uh, podcast things. There's Spotify, Google, and the Apples. Go leave a review. Please and thank you. Download the episode, follow, and breaking news to the Canna Book Club. We have a playlist, kids. Go to Spotify and look up Resonate Radio Presents Canna Book Club. So if you don't want to hear all the other stuff that's going on in the podcast and you just want to be a nerd, you can do that now. Resonate Radio presents Canna Book Club. Check out the playlist. Follow it. Like it. Do whatever the hell you do on Spotify. Thank you very much, Canna Book Club. I love you all. We'll see you all next week. We're out of here. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you.